0: hey everybody welcome welcome back it's another episode of simply amazing tim Ryder from the apple taryn sharma welcome back my man are we excited or what
1: no i mean the mets haven't done anything in 24 hours when are they gonna (laughs) do something already right who rests on sunday this is nonsense (laughs) uh maybe billy epler is finally getting to spend some time with his children uh is uh is an angry steve cohen the most dangerous man on the planet
0: oh i don't know we only know him in a baseball sense but my goodness <laughs> to a to, to amass a, a fortune like that yeah he has to have a um a pretty mean streak when he wants to huh
1: yeah so last time we spoke uh jake had just agreed to go to texas uh, we got to talk about that with uh with my buddy Owen. Um, that was, was
0: fun, bro. Owen, I, I you called me like, yo, let's. Call. My buddy Owen's here. I'm like, yeah, cool, let's do it. And that was a great time.
1: Yeah, he's a really smart guy, really, really well spoken Mets fan. So it's always uh, nice to talk about our uh, our favorite baseball team with with people like that. And so we we talked about kind of the feelings that we had about um, Jake leaving, and and who we would like to see replace him. And I think that. The names that we said, by and large, I think we said three different names. Uh Justin Verlander. Um, we said uh Rodon and uh Kodai Senga. And uh and two out of those three are Mets today.
0: It, it really is incredible. I mean the Mets um you knew they had to do something with Verlander. Um you know, you had they had to. You have to make up for losing. A you know a a frontline horse in, in Jacob Degrom, and they did so beautifully. Um, they limited their risk for a thirty-nine, soon to be forty-year-old pitcher by you know doing two. I believe there's the option here but uh, two years is a bunch of money. It's pretty much the Max Scherzer, <laughs> the Max Scherzer special. Um, it, it's you know I guess you're uh, you're commonplace for a veteran, future Hall of Famer with MVP stuff still. They're going to get their forty million plus, and 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 it really it fits in well. I mean, uh, adding Sangha to that mix, uh, and especially at the price point that they got him at, that's incredible. Fifteen five, million
1: dollars back. a year, yeah, uh, five five years, seventy five million.
0: I mean, you have a one through three that is absolutely elite. Um, you still have Carrasco you have Quintana who was a, a terrific pl- uh, pitcher last year he has been throughout his career yeah and even despite all of the the advanced ages I believe the average age of your current starting five is 35 and a half years old
1: yeah Sanga is the young guy and he's 29
0: yeah I, I believe he's pushed he, he might be 30 by the time uh opening day kicks around I'm actually not sure um but then you still have Tyler McGill. You still have David Peterson. You still have Joey Lucchese. You still have um, Alicia. I hope I said that right. Alicia Hernandez, who uh, showed promise in the Marlins system. We'll see if maybe he can give the, the Mets some some quality innings when needed. But, yeah, whatever. If you're going to stick those guys in, in spot starts, uh, stretch them out as a, you know, openers, if, if applicable, however you want to handle it, you're going to be able to keep your core five fresh. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. And I saw a report and I'm sorry, I'm not able to give credit because I I don't remember where, who I saw said it, but um, don't be surprised if the Mets go to a six man rotation this year. And, uh, and if that's okay for the, the pitchers, because as we know, they're, big time creatures of habit. Um, I I think that that would be a a great way to keep them fresh because yeah, you you mentioned the age. Um, These guys have a lot of miles on them, but um, it it is a a case where they have been performing at their best. And, and I think that this team, what they have managed to do with all of these kind of pieces hanging in the balance, all all of these free agents, jumping back a little bit, I think part of the reason why I was so upset when the uh, the season had ended and, and the manner in which it ended, it felt like there was a real wasted opportunity, like the window was being shut on the Mets because I knew that there were all these pieces that might not be there. Nimmo, DeGrom, uh, Diaz was free agent um, and, and, and not to mention the other pitchers on the staff Bassett and, and Walker that, you know, may not be there. And um, I, I think that was like a big worry for me that, uh, you know, how could they possibly replace all of these pieces? And what they've done, I think, is set the Mets up to uh, at least get back to the level that they were this past season, which 101 wins is a phenomenal season. And then we saw October, it's really a bit of a crapshoot, right? Like the Phillies got better pitching. Uh, than they had been getting most of the season and their bats were hot at the same time. And so they went on this deep run, but I mean, you can't forget that they were in the ninth inning in St. Louis and down to their last few outs and, and losing by a, a, a couple of runs. And so if they go down one game there, you know, who knows what happens, but they got hot at the right time. And I think that the Mets, are are perfectly suited to be able to do that this year. And so the talk of like all that to finish in third place and all that stuff from rival fans, I, I think that that's just pure salt. And I think that, um, you know, I, I've been really hard on Epler and I think that, that he and Steve have done a fantastic job.
0: Oh, sure. And and even if you go back to when they really kick-started things between Cohen's regime and Epler coming in as the GM, you know, Black Friday last year, they bring in Starling Marte, Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar. You bring in Max Scherzer before the before the lockout hit. They head into 2022 and they are ready for everything. And and you know, for the first five months of the season, they were on that pace. And even if they backed into the playoffs, you know that was still a not just a viable roster. That was a, a, a competitive a a. a, a a roster that could have just like the Phillies did get hot and just go, of course, you know, the situation being as it may, it was, a um, it ended on a sour note. You know, you can win 110 games. If you don't win the world series, it's, you know, it's all for naught, but you know, Epler and Cohen and all that money and, and this, this staff who kind of, I'm sure they had some sort of idea what they wanted to do, but You know, in a situation like this where the temperatures and the landscape is always changing, um, you have to pivot. you got to kind of work on the fly. I mean, DeGrom's gone. Taiwan Walker moved on. Joely Rodriguez and, well, later on, Trevor Williams moved on. Brandon Nimmo was anyone's guess, and the price tag was just getting higher and higher. Mm -hmm. The Mets really didn't lose anything. You know, they didn't lose their mind at all. They stayed calm. They stayed cool. They already had Diaz locked up. They went and, I guess, quote unquote, replaced Degrom with Verlander. Go out and get Quintana. Go out and add Robertson. You ended up locking up Nimo. We're going to talk about Nimmo in a little bit because I do want to talk about his deal. Yeah. And then on Saturday night, you go get Sangha. Between from Diaz through Sangha, and I, I should only count the, those, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six guys. That's four hundred and sixty-one point seven million dollars committed in total. Yeah. That. You know, it doesn't feel like this is going to be a one off shot type franchise moving forward. And then, yeah, a lot of money comes off the books moving forward and they, you know, they're probably not going to have to push 400 million every year, but just the ability that they can, if they have to, or if they want to, it's beautiful. Look at, look at, look at what Atlanta has been doing. You know, they have uh, a, just a, a, an elite future ahead of them. Philadelphia is spending money like they're the Mets and they have a a ton of momentum behind them. The Mets have to keep up. Look what the Padres are doing. Padres are are, are setting themselves up for a a real push at LA. The Mets kind of have to keep up with all these Joneses. And, you know, as of right now, they're, you know, sure, they're spending a lot of money and and there's no guarantee that they're going to come out of this thing on top at the end of uh, next season, but they're doing all they can to put themselves in a position to win at this point can you really ask for anything more
1: no I, I i don't think you can and i i feel like to say that would be mocked that you know even if they don't end up winning a championship that it's all a failure but putting a competitive team out there it to me is a sign of respect to the fans and so credit to all of those teams that you mentioned that their owners are willing to spend that that money because I'd much rather have a hyper-competitive National League with all of those different players than to have teams that could be good, but the owners aren't willing to spend. And I think that there's this farce out here, and I've heard it forever, the, the small market can't compete. Well, it's just not true. All of these owners have either hundreds of millions of dollars or, or billions of dollars. Okay. That's just how much they're worth. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but these teams, they essentially mint money with television, with the way that MLB has handled BAM tech and the sale of BAM tech uh, to Disney those, and not to mention other non-baseball related uh, income that is like, you know, developing real estate development around stadiums and stuff like that. And the fact that a lot of these stadiums are subsidized by taxpayers. There is to me, no excuse for an owner to not spend on the on-field product. So we're very, very lucky to have somebody like Steve who is a, a lifelong Mets fan and wants to see the team succeed. And this is like a passion project for him. And One other thing, you you mentioned those uh, different teams, especially the way Atlanta has handled signing their young players to extensions pre-ARB. I think that's just a perfect example of how you can build teams in different ways, you can win in different ways, you can score runs in different ways. Um, I, I remember in the summer, a lot of the talk was like, yeah, Atlanta hits a lot of home runs and the Mets have to like grind out these at-bats. And the truth is that there's no one way to to team build. There's no one way to uh, uh, have a offensive philosophy or a pitching philosophy. And I think that that's what makes the game interesting. You have all of these unique ways that teams try to approach uh, achieving the same goals, which is to win as many games as possible, and then win the games when they matter in the fall. And so, I, this uh, hot hot stove and and this season, uh, this off season has really just re energized me, and and I am so excited for the spring and and to see what comes because there's so many teams that are all in right now.
0: It really is, and I wanted to. I wrote it down while you were talking because I didn't want to forget it. Um, you talked about bam Tech and talked about the influx of money that major league baseball teams received this year and they were not obligated to spend that money um on pay on baseball operations uh and for anyone who's not familiar this was uh MLB advanced media I believe was it's pretty much their system for video uh yes' yeah, streaming and, was and- for streaming it, now Peter Seidler who's the owner of the Padres, his private investment firm was actually in charge of the sale. I believe they were actually part owners of BamTech and Mm -hmm. and really, really raked in quite a windfall with this. So again, that could explain how Xander Beauregard ends up, uh, you know, I guess on a how long is he in town for? He's through his 41-year-old 41-year season? Right, yeah. Oh my goodness. Hey, it's going to make them a really, really tough team especially if Tatis isn't going to be the shortstop that they thought he was going to be. Um, and Bogarts is pretty much dead set on playing shortstop. Uh, yeah. It's going to give them options. Uh, if, if Soto leaves, they have a, a bona fide, albeit veteran, star, uh, you know, already in place with, with Machado there. and
1: Yeah. You know. Machado also has the opt out after this year, right?
0: Yeah. I want Machado. He's like one of my favorite players in baseball.
1: He's great, and maybe uh, his relationship with Buck will uh, will give the Mets a shot there.
0: Yeah, I don't want to get too far off track, but you have to assume that Manny Machado is on his way to a Hall of Fame career, right?
1: Yes, I think so. Mm-hmm.
0: He that kind of gets overshadowed between Arenado. Um, uh, there's another really, really top flight third baseman that I'm not thinking of right now.
1: Yeah, but- I think he, he gets forgotten about, uh, I think partially because of the Johnny Hustle stuff. Oh, um, that
0: doesn't. Oh, who did he cleat? He cleated somebody at first base. Who was that? He spiked uh, him. He got him was on the this back. When of he
1: was foot. with the Orioles?
0: Oh, was it Aguilar with the Brewers actually?
1: He had the bat thing, right? He threw the bat.
0: Oh, he did. Yeah, he got angry and well, he was he was younger in Baltimore, but I was thinking about his I guess it was his postseason with the Dodgers, that short-lived stint with LA. Yeah, he pleaded. I believe it was Aguilar. He was playing first base for the Brewers. Hmm. He pleaded him, and it turned into a big thing. And and the uh, the Milwaukee fans are giving him a hard time, and he's shaking his, you know, shaking his junk at him or whatever. And you know, um, Manny via Manny, I guess that's probably where that all came from. On at least on his part, this is not a uh, a uh, Manny uh, Manny Rodriguez. But you know, it's um. It's something to think about as far as you know, big picture. Whether it's the Padres, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Yankees, who went and you know, <laughs> Aaron Judge played them really, really beautifully. But this is not a Yankees podcast. But all these teams, I mean, they're the the fallacy of haves and have-nots. Like you said, all of these teams can be haves if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, and I guess the magic formula, which whether it be teams now, whether it be the Wilpons back when before Cohen took over, you know, if teams went out and spent with a you know a, a commitment to winning, and we're going to spend to win, and we're going to do all we can to win a World Series, if they do that every year and they feel the competitive team, fans are going to come in droves. Fans are going to spend money at the stadium. Fans are going to spend money, streaming services and merchandise and all that you know, all, all that fun stuff that comes along with a winning ball club and a winning organization. Mm-hmm. If owners wanted to, they could make this all happen every year. But you know, it's, it's a, it's a game that these guys play. And to them, this probably isn't even a, like, this isn't even an, a source of a real source of income for them. This is a toy. And uh you know, as fans, we get very wrapped up in this. And I guess personally, I'm, just enjoying sitting back and watching the Mets spend a lot of money that has no fiscal responsibility tied to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm really very happy about it. And, and I'm happy that Steve sees it this way. I mean, they, they, in the CBA, there's no penalty for not spending on payroll, but there is the, the elevated levels of luxury tax, um, culminating in the in the threshold that is well known as the Cohen tax, and he basically um, uh, said, you know, yeah, there's a Cohen tax. Watch this, and and I think that that aligns with what he had said previously. Like, um, I'm not going to go over just for like a million or two. If I'm going to go over, I'm going to go all the way in, and this is the perfect perfect example of that. And the fact that the you know the Mets might not be done right like they they yeah. are still being mentioned in uh conversations about Carlos Correa. I, I mean that would be unbelievable <laughs> Was that to, was that Heyman throwing Correa out there. I think the, like a, a a few different places have said it but um like uh it, it, to have that that uh that Puerto Rican flair on the left side of the infield would be fantastic. I, I think that Correa would be willing to pay, play third if it was. He, he it said so.
0: Out. He's actually said he said that before. I want to say it was his spring training heading into his last year in Houston. A reporter asked if he'd be willing to play third playing for a new team. If he did move on, he said he would be just so, you know, for, for the Mets, for fans, the uh, the opportunity is on the table. I think, I think, yeah, I think I, probably, I, I, especially
1: I, I, if he could play with his buddy Lindor.
0: Oh, Absolutely. Oh, I mean, you know the the joy that they. When was the last time we saw the World Baseball Classic? That wasn't the twenty seventeen.
1: Uh. Yep.
0: Yeah, they were probably one of the more entertaining teams in the in the tournament. They still had uh, it was Molina was there. Who was still on that team? Um, I'm sure I'm ridiculously excited for the World Baseball Classic. But
1: Edwin was yeah. on that team, right?
0: What, what? I'm sorry.
1: Edwin was on that team.
0: He in 2017, he was he was just coming off a very very exciting, almost like a breakout year for him.
1: Um, yeah. So I I'd love to see that, and I know that they're fine. I think if they probably stick with what they have and see what the kids can do in terms of um Beatty and and Alvarez coming in yeah. and taking those at bats, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing them go out and get one more thumper because I I think that that really does make a difference. Uh, One swing of the bat when it comes to October really seems like a, a, I don't know if it's like a surefire way to win, but it's like a, a, a more consistent, more reliable way to win, I think.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it always helps when you can put three up on the board in one swing instead of stringing together three hits in a row. I mean, a lot can happen in that span of time. And, you know, I think a lot of fans were, were, were kind of harping on that throughout the year. Like, oh, well, is this sustainable? And it was. The Mets won a bunch of games. But, yeah, once the calendar turns, you almost need that perfect blend of old school baseball and the ability to change a game in one swing. And Mets, the Mets – I don't want to say that they didn't have that because you have guys on that, on the roster now who have pop and can be that guy, but you need more. Yeah. You just, you see it, you know, look at the Phillies, look what they were, you know, one through five, one through six pretty much in that lineup. Yes, Anyone's ready to take you deep. You know, you could look at Houston and look at the same thing. You just kind of want that extra dynamic, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I mean the Mets heading into this morning, their 2023. This is their competitive balance tax payroll. So this is all of not the penalties, but they're at 349.6 million. The penalties would be around an estimate. I heard anywhere from 78 to 80 million so far yeah. uh, would be an additional tax on top of it. So they're looking at somewhere like 420, 430. That's just in payroll and the Cohen tax. Now, it, you know, the Mets might be looking at a $450 million payroll soup to nuts. Um, do you think that there's, like we said before, there's never a, a, a short thing. There's going to be 29 other teams going home at the end of the season. Do you feel that it's 110% justified? for a team to go out and spend this type of money to win one world series.
1: Yeah. I mean, given, given that I've not seen one in my lifetime, of course, (laughs) um, I I think that the value of the guys is what the market is willing to pay them. Right. Uh, And if you're going to be out there and playing in free agency and and the Mets have a very set strategy, that's the other thing, right? They're not going after guys who have the qualifying offer because they don't want to give up the draft picks. They're going after guys on short-term deals, high AAV. And when they have to go longer deals, they're going on a low AAV because they're adding on the additional years. And um, we've seen that in, in a couple of instances, and we can talk about that after the break. But um, I think that that's like a pretty sound strategy. And I compare it to like when Guggenheim took over in LA with the Dodgers, right? 2012, they make these big trades, bring in uh Carl Crawford, uh, yeah. uh Adrian Gonzalez, and they're really spending a lot short term while they allow the farm system to get beefed up. And and allowing your farm system to develop isn't just a matter of, hey, look, like we're gonna be able to plug this guy in and right field in like a year or two, like. He has a good shot at being solid. It's the sort of thing where, yeah, we have this guy Verdugo, and he's really good. But by the way, Mookie Betts is on the trade block and he's phenomenal MVP, 10 win a year kind of player. And we have the pieces that we can go get him. And also we have the money that we can extend him and keep him here. And so the farm is important for that. And I, I think that this strategy is is um, well thought out and very sound. And I think that it positions the Mets really well uh, going into uh, this uh, the beginning of this three to five year window that um cohen has so famously discussed.
0: Yeah. I mean look at it. They've they've gone through the the meat and potatoes of this off season and they haven't dipped into their prospects yet. They mm-hmm. haven't even there haven't even really been I mean, I guess boy Brooks Fraley went to uh went came over from Tampa Bay. That's the only trade we really That's saw, cute. right? Mm-hmm. yeah oh, right. ask you who, who it, you guys should check out jacobs I, I don't know if it was a write-up or just a video on uh on twitter um apparently ask you was a you know a stud in the making but yeah, hey yeah. brooks really is going to be a part a, a piece and a cog and whatever that stuff you know that's good enough
1: for me yeah I mean, he's an A ball pitcher right now it, so, a lot like,
0: can happen right
1: so much volatility involved in that and the mets are in a position where they needed to replace uh Joelli and they, they needed to find out um, who was out there on the market. And given who was out there, they made the decision to, uh, to, to make that trade, which I think seems sound and you're basically trading a lottery ticket, a guy that was um, by all accounts, like right outside of top 30 prospects for the Mets um, for a, a guy who's been pretty solid um, in a, in a, good uh bullpen
0: yeah yeah and you know i think that there's i like what the mets uh, the the it's almost just like a a a systemic one by one we're going to go ahead and do what we have to do knock off our you know our our our, our, you know go right down our list check everything off things change you kind of have to you know pivot to it but I, we do have to get into Nimmo. Let's take a very quick break, and um, we're going to come back and talk about Brandon Nimmo and kind of how you have to work things on the fly. Hang tight. We'll be right back. All right. We're back. We only have a few minutes, but I did want to chat about Brandon Nimmo. Uh, if you're following on Twitter, the reports were coming out, I guess the day before Nimmo signed, and he was pushing six years, looking at $25 million per uh, of course, I've talked about his potential when he's healthy, as well as his um, injury history. And, you know, you, you almost wanted to see where it went, because at, so at one point you didn't expect, you know, R- Nimmo to to stick around. You were talking before the break about how, you know, you stretch things out, you limit AAV, Nemo's case, this is pretty much what happened. It almost opens the door for more moves to be made, despite the payroll being as high as it is. You know, if you met Nemo's asking price or Boris's asking price and stayed at that five, six year window, you might have been looking at 25, 25, 27 million dollars a year. At this point, you know, I guess in a vacuum, the Mets did put a little bit, little bit of money aside. and Whether that went to Sanger or not, they still have more to do. So whether it's replacing a, a James McCann or adding a more offensive capable catcher, if you can move McCann, great. But where, where do you kind of... What are the options that are given when the Mets are able to pull some strings and give them a little bit more wiggle room? One, you know, how much room do you think they really have? And two, where do they go with this?
1: Yeah, um, I so I think that it was important to keep a guy like Nimo in the fold um, for a couple of reasons. One, he's homegrown. Uh, and I, I think that anytime that you have a development success story where you draft a player and he makes it onto your team and he he's almost all-star level, uh, a valuable contributor to the organization, and then you can keep him, uh, on multiple contracts. I, I think that that's just a really good testament to a organization and, and to say, um, to your scouts and, and to your de- player development folks that they're doing a, a good job as well. So I think that that is valuable in that sense, but it's also about ni- who Nimmo is as a person. And I think Brandon Nimmo is uh, one of the hardest workers, in professional baseball. I think he's a guy that is uh, shown by example that he's willing to put in the the time and effort and not give up and to to persevere until he becomes such a valuable player. I mean, he made himself into a a star defensive player. I, he was not like that before. And so when you looked out at the market and you were like, okay, we got really good defense last year from Nimo. He really patrolled city field in particular, very nicely He really understood the ballpark because he had spent so much time there. Um, And and I think that it really culminated in that catch against LA, which uh, was one of the highlights of the season for me Um, to bring a guy like that back. And, and not only that, but to, to do it on uh, the kind of uh, stringing out that contract so that it ends up being not that much in his later years per year Uh, i i think that that was a a real coup and i I think that he probably agreed to that because he wanted to be in new york and so keeping people in the clubhouse who want to be there is great um and and so i do think that the the money thing like i i have no idea how much money they have set apart for this offseason do you i like i think that they're approaching it like we're in play for anyone who can Help us get over the hump. Don't you get that feeling?
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I think that I think that this team is is more than willing to not to just disregard a a price tag or a ceiling. You know, it, it, like you said, it, it, if the 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 bitterness and the disappointment of last season combined with the the window that they have now, in addition to the you know the three to five year. Sustainable success window, whatever you want to look at that too. But what would they have right now if they want to continue on this trajectory of of success? Not the sustainable sustainable success we're talking about in the sense of of uh, you know uh, you know the big picture. Just you know putting a, a winning major league ball club out there every year in order to keep up with with that trajectory. I think that they have to go all out right now and if there's still holes to to fill on this roster i i don't think that there should you know they shouldn't skimp now (laughs) now is not the time to say oh well we spent all this money elsewhere uh let's see if we could do with a a patchwork bullpen no you know if you're gonna go all out go all out
1: yeah, and I think this is the time to do it, especially because they've shown that they're not really going to allow themselves to be gouged at deadlines. Um, they've made deals that you know the the prospect outlay or major league ready outlay has not been high, um, and, and I think that that left a lot of us disappointed. But then that means that it puts more pressure on the offseason to really knock it out of the park, and I think that they've they've done that so far. So you're saying the the parts that I think probably still need a couple pieces I, I think the bullpen is a pretty clear area right they they lost um uh Lugo they've lost May they've lost Williams who played that critical swing uh swingman role last year who are some guys that you would like to see um plug up some of those holes they've added Robertson which well, we Robertson
0: is, is is huge. I think that's a um, a very big addition. I would love to see Trevor May back in the mix.
1: Yeah, I like you know, Trevor May.
0: You know, he 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 had some injury issues. Uh, it really seemed like it was plaguing him for a while. And you know, even when he found his rhythm again, it, he looked great. It, everyone looks at you know, I guess twenty twenty one, and like, oh yeah, it was a really bad year. From like August on, he was awesome. So I mean you could certainly look at different internal options. I'm I'm looking for Drew Smith to have a huge year this year. I think he's going to be really really good. Like
1: how he was before the Pinky.
0: Yeah, oh exactly. And I you know, oh, that could have been so much worse, man. I remember that. I think about that all the time. It, you know, that that could have been really bad, but you know, he's um he's the type of 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 player that that would fit that would fit well anywhere, but This The profile of his stuff, the confidence on the mound, his ability to just throw strikes. He doesn't get rattled. I think that's all going to work out really well for him. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Peterson and McGill getting reps. Um,
1: I think Peterson did well in that swingman role. Yeah. He wasn't great as a reliever, but he, he did do a good job when he had to come in in the fireman role. That happened on a handful of occasions last year.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can look around, you can look at the Will Smiths and (laughs) I know I don't, I don't want to spend on, on Craig Kimbrell, but you know, if you're looking for a true eighth inning guy, Craig Kimbrell, Craig, excuse me, Craig Kimbrell could very well be a terrific eighth inning guy. Um, You know, Taylor Rogers, I believe is out there. Andrew Chafin has, has been, you know, named or I guess whispered around the Mets for going on probably three seasons now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Corey Knebel, I believe he's going to be out there again. Brad Hand, I believe he was already in Met once. He was already rumored to be in Met a couple of times. I mean, these are all pieces that could that could absolutely be useful. Craig Stammen, Craig Stammen's probably pushing 40, but the guy still doesn't walk anybody.
1: Yeah. Um so I I think that that market will be uh, a little bit slower to develop and we'll probably see some movement on that uh, after the new year with. Um,
0: well, how about Adovino? You think Adovino comes back? He He's such an important part.
1: Uh, I think he was great last year. I'm not sure if he can repeat that again, um, but I, I think he's a good clubhouse guy. So we'll yeah. see. Um, uh, speaking of another market that might be a little bit slower to develop that might pick up now uh, catcher. The Mets obviously weren't receiving the type of production that they expected when they signed McCann to that deal a couple years ago in, in Cohen's first free agent class. Do you think that we could see them package uh, McCann with Mark Vientos, for example, to get a bullpen arm?
0: Uh, possibly. Um, I, I wouldn't be against going out and, and finding a a swap for, for McCann in the catching department I would love to see if Oakland would be a, you know if you say we're going to pay McCann's last two years or you know 90% of it or 80% of it send you a prospect give us Sean, give us Sean Murphy Um, I think he's that additional pop you know when he gets a hold of a ball that thing's going 430 feet easily uh, he's a terrific but do you, framer, do you think
1: that it's important for Alvarez to get these reps uh, catching this year or, or no
0: I'm more. I, I'm actually more intrigued by Alvarez's bat. I'd like to see him be the right-handed DH to Vogelbach. To Vogelbach's left hand, um, you know. Of course, you want to get him experience behind the plate, but if you can give yourself a daily thumper in Alvarez and only have him worry about hitting right now, I think I'd be okay with that. But you know, Tomas Nito is, is your defensive catcher. If you can get production offensively, great. If Alvarez can handle both those jobs, even better. Personally, I would like to see Alvarez develop as, well, I guess from the plate as opposed to behind the plate. Um, I think he'll have plenty of time to be a catcher. I think his value to the Mets right now will be that, that, Big, big, powerful bat from the right-hand side.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm on the other side. I, I think that right now, when he has an opportunity to work with some of the greatest pitchers that the game has ever had, I think that now is the time that I would like for him to be able to learn how to catch in the major leagues. And And I think the bat is going to come around. I know that we didn't really get to see that much of him Um Uh, down the stretch but I think he was kind of brought up in a a difficult spot Um, and and there was a lot of pressure on the team at that moment and I'm not sure that that was like um, the the best first uh, impression for him I was hopeful that he was going to uh, come up immediately and show out but you know it, it didn't happen which is fine and I think that he still has so much potential I can see what you're saying about the bat but I think that I want him to be a catcher. Um, I I think that his offensive profile from that position is going to be so valuable for the team going forward uh, in future years, because he's only 21, 22 years old. And um, so that's my personal preference, but um, I I'm sure that given how much information the, that buck and, and the rest of the, uh, for front office have. Uh, I, I think that they'll make whatever decision is best for, for Francisco.
0: Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that he's, um, he would be a a liability behind the plate. I think that you know when he caught for Degrom when he was not on a rehab assignment, he caught for Max when he's on a rehab assignment. Everyone had very rave reviews about him, and I think a lot of the work that he's going to be doing, whether he's catching in games or not, whether it's on a part-time basis, full-time basis. I think the work that's going to be getting done behind the scenes, whether it's in with the catching group, whether it's with Glenn Sherlock, who's now the catching instructor for, uh, for Buck's staff, or, or just kind of picking the brains of the pitchers that he has to, that he has to catch um, whether it be Max or Verlander or down the line. I, I think that, just being a part of a major league club, a catcher on a major league ball club, I think he's going to be able to absorb a lot more than, than some people think. And of course, you know, in-game experience is nothing, you know, you can't compare to that. But I think he's going to be getting a lot of work done outside of in-game experience on the catching side. Um, you know, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I guess personally, I, I would love to see his, his bat develop into what it can be. I, I don't know if his catching, his ceiling as a as a catcher, would be as valuable to the Mets or to any team in general, um, as it would his offense. Now, I think you could put you know all the work in the world into his catching, and he might be an all star catcher. I still think that his offense would eclipse that in value, and I think you almost have to foster and, and harness that. Just to like a a, a slighter degree, just considering the ceiling could be that much higher.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable take. Um and and we'll, we'll see what they decide.
0: They kind of have to find, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So the last thing uh before we go, I think that we should talk about. Um you know, so much has been made about the the price that these free agents are getting, whether it's in, in terms of years or uh or dollars. Do you think that we could see the Mets turn their attention after um the offseason starts to like get towards spring training and, and pitchers and catchers reporting to uh extending guys like Pete and um Jeff McNeil?
0: Oh, absolutely. We actually, we had this conversation at the Queens Baseball Convention last weekend during our, uh, Mark Healy invited us onto the State of the Mets forum. And this was actually a, a more of the, uh, the, one of the more, I guess, <laughs> mercurial topics of, of our little segment. Um, you know, Pete Alonso is, he's been doing so much more than just becoming a power hitter. He's not. You know, if, if he would have played a full 162 in 2020, not the COVID year, there's—I don't want to say definitely, but there's a great chance that he would be past Ralph Kiner as the most home runs hit in any player's four-year Major League history. You know, the power aside and the, the strides that he's taken uh, uh, defensively. <clears throat> excuse me. The um, what Pete's been able to do from the plate. As a hitter, just, you know, his average is continuously risen. Uh, He's going the other way, much more consistently. His eye got
1: a lot better this year.
0: Yeah, he's just, he knows what he wants, in not just in a bat, but on a pitch-by-pitch basis. It seems like he knows when to waste something. And yeah, he gets fooled. Everybody does. But he's limiting his vulnerabilities and it's it's been really really cool to see i think if pete is willing to be on board with a uh, with an extension absolutely and then same thing could go for for mcneil um you know he had a one-off season that he was really bad and i think that it's possible that he was getting some bad advice from the prior organization's regime and as far as what to do or or, or what to do with his approach and once he got back to basics, he was Jeff McNeil again. And I think that is exactly what you want in a player long-term. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, these are cornerstone guys. I think that if, if all parties involved are on board, yeah. And, you know, you want to pay everybody fair, but if you can work it out so that it still gives the Mets, fl- you know, financial flexibility moving forward. Like, look at what, what, what happened with Brandon Nimmo, you know, okay, let's stretch that to eight, but we're going to give you 20 million or 20 million and change a year, as opposed to six years and 25 million, give everybody a little bit of wiggle room. And I think that for players who, you know, who want to be here, and that's not a knock on Jacob Degrom, but maybe it is. Um, I think that they would be willing to do that. I, you know, I, if it was up to me yes i, I would have gone into the offseason i would have gotten into the offseason having already spoken to representation for both players and saying hey guys we got some stuff to do but we're going to circle back because this this should be uh discussed and you know is for my opinion, go for it
1: yeah so uh in terms of numbers do you think that he would be looking at something like a uh like what Matt Olson got like 8 168 that's like 21 a year, I think.
0: I think that would be more than fair. I think that you, I mean, if you let it, if you let Pete continue on the on the trajectory that he's been on, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to get Aaron Judge money, but if you can lock him in for Olsen money now, you probably should.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that the Judge money is also tied to, the position change and how well he played in the outfield at, at a premium of the middle position yeah. in his platform you know, that um you know it, it, it pete wouldn't be in that situation but no, I, I think he is worth the money of a, a good uh two-way um first baseman and, and i think that 168 over eight years is a really fair number it's close to what nimmo got um so yeah, that'd be cool. And and then uh, what what do you think about McNeil? Like, what?
0: I, I think I, you know, I like him in that that seventeen five eighteen million dollars a year. Give him four years; he's a little bit older. Yeah,
1: he, I think he'd be like thirty thirty three. I think he'd be like thirty three when he hits free agency.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think that would be perfect then. You know, and, and, and again, if that's it. That's, of course, if he wants to be here. But, yeah, if you lock him in now and say, hey, we'd like to keep you on board, you know, let's say 355, 360, give him a little, you know, a little premium for sticking around. I think that, well, the value would would, would certainly be there. I mean, look at what he's been able to do with the plate defensively and, you know, versatility. Line. contact
1: skills, I think, also will age very well.
0: Yeah. Oh, that stuff, you know, you don't lose – you lose bat speed. You don't lose um, the ability to to just to to find the ball and put it where you want. Um, he's never been a bat speed guy. He's just slapping him. It's. I think he's going to translate to, you know, the the second half of his career very well in that sense.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so much good stuff, uh, and and a pleasure to talk about it with you as always, Tim.
0: As always, sir.
1: And then what's the sign-off?
0: It's let's fucking go Mets, bro. And I, I swear, I can't believe we're just right around the corner. You Pitchers and catchers are 10 weeks away.
1: Is it really that soon?
0: Uh, I want to say it's like middle of February. And um, yeah, I want to say we're less than 10 weeks away.
1: That is awesome.
0: Isn't I'm it? Sorry. Yeah. Gonna think of, I got to get down to Port St. Lucie this year that is great yeah oh we're gonna make it we're gonna make it happen one of these days we're gonna do like a live show we're not gonna tell anybody me and Taren are just gonna show up and be like oh hey guys we're here come come hang out
1: <laughs> I'd love to That'd be
0: do it. we'll make it work alright guys you guys know uh, you know where to find us um, we'll have content coming out at the Apple throughout the week uh, I'm sure there's gonna be more Mets news kicking up if anything big we will be on with an emergency pod if not we'll be back uh towards the end of the week to discuss uh, where things are at. You guys know where we're going to be and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.